you feel it? Do you feel it? Are you ready? I don't think you're ready. It's time to go to work. <laughs> I take no takes back. Stretching all the way back to February. Hell, we were doing shows in January with Evan Silva and J.J. Zacharyson, where we were telling the truth about the NFL and predicting the future. <laughs> what a week! You like that? You like those takes? Those takes were supposedly too hot. Just too hot. This podfather, he's lost all credibility. The things he says are just crazy gibberish. Comparing Patrick Mahomes to Dan Marino, that's nonsense. Comparing Keelan Cole to Antonio Brown, blasphemy! Comparing Matt Breida to Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. Yes, if Tevin Coleman and Matt Breida walked into a particle acceleration chamber, you close the door, you hit a button, the door opens, through the fog, walks Matt Breida. This was my bold prediction. Matt Breida would break out all over the place. That was my bold prediction on the Roto Underworld game night show on Roto Grinders. I mean, the Podfather had a great week. <laughs> I mean, it was hard to believe, right? I'm sitting here behind this desk, not watching the games at all, perusing the highlights and the box scores, sporting a perma smile, a smile that could not be erased from my face. As my own fantasy teams were annihilating their competition. And my hottest takes were coming to fruition. And by far and away the most important prediction that after two weeks is now widely considered fact. It went from prediction to self-evident in two weeks. That the NFL will experience a league-wide offensive resurgence. Led by an influx of talented young quarterbacks and renewed health from established veterans, from Andrew Luck to Aaron Rodgers, and this week, Carson Wentz. No one could have seen the Ryan Fitzpatrick 35-year-old breakout story. I mean, we've heard of late breakout ages, right? Gary Barnage. But this is Josh McCown-level late career breakout for Ryan Fitzpatrick, and congratulations to Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, way to go! And he's not taking himself seriously in press conferences. This is so perfect. Nothing could be more perfect than Ryan Fitzpatrick, the late seventh round pick in the NFL draft from Harvard, Ryan Fitzpatrick, using his 48 Wonderlick to crush the dreams of opposing defenders. <laughs> it's just perfect. And we talk about players that look like their mascots. Ryan Fitzpatrick is the ultimate swashbuckling buccaneer quarterback who strides to the podium like Conor McGregor about to face. Floyd Mayweather. And go back and look at the draft kit. The team that Ben Gretsch predicted would experience the most massive positive mean reversion this season, the Cincinnati Bengals. And no surprise, they went out and scored 34 points on Thursday Night Football. I mean, 
Look at those draft kit projections. Higher than consensus on Deshaun Jackson, OJ Howard, and Mike Wallace. It's not our fault that Mike Wallace's ankle disintegrated on the football field on Sunday afternoon. So you could not knock me off my cloud on Sunday. I was just floating, just floating above the world. Hey, everybody. Hey, hello there. Don't mind me. Just experiencing the pure joy that comes from correct sports takes and fantasy football matchup victories. Unadulterated joy until Monday Night Football. Projected to beat J.J. Zacharyson easily. My Russell Wilson against his Chicago Bears. And the Chicago Bears return an interception for a touchdown. And I lose the matchup by .22 fantasy points. (laughs) So I did not win every matchup. Of course, there's the bad beat of the season. But fortunately, it's on Apex, and we have two matchups per week, so I'm 3-1. and one. Still comfortably positioned to make the playoffs. And I know what you're thinking, well, we don't care about your fantasy team, Matt Kelly. That's your stick on Twitter, right? You don't care about our fantasy team? Well, we don't care about your fantasy team either. Well, here's the thing. See, on Twitter, you follow me, I don't follow you. Therefore, I don't care about your fantasy team, but you do care about mine. That's how this information exchange works. You need to get over yourself. I need to share everything in my hashtag fantasy life. That's the relationship, like it or not. And I now do five shows a week. Yeah, five. I haven't done five shows a week since 2015. You're welcome. But that's not enough for some of you. Because at TTF23 on Twitter writes, Why isn't your Monday morning podcast on Roto Grinders free to patrons? And my response is because I've never done a Monday morning show before. This is additional content that Roto Grinders is compensating me for. That show would not exist unless Roto Grinders asked for it and returned value back to me in exchange. And all you need to do is subscribe to Roto Grinders as most of you already do. It's the place DFS grinders get a lot of their information and interact with one another. So for many of you, this is just yet another show to consume. But this show, the Roto Underworld Radio Program, the Mind of Mansion, this is the flagship show. This is the show to end all shows. This is the show that matters. This is the show that will never go away. This is the show that will never go behind a paywall. And patrons are afforded two shows a week. Three, if you stream the Roto Underworld Game Night program, 9 o'clock Eastern on Roto Grinders, that show is available for free when you stream it live. So I'm putting everything out there on the airwaves and on social media. I'm giving you everything I got, as well as this website called playerprofiler.com, which has more advanced metrics than any other website in the history of football statistics. And you want more? More! More free shit? TTFF23? I always bring the goods on the Mind of Mansion show. You open your podcast app, you think, oh, new Roto Underworld show. Just made my day. Then you look closely. Oh, it's over two hours. Then you listen. Oh, there's 25 minutes of outtakes. I bring the goods every week. And I bring the goods on Patreon as well. Because those individuals actually care about me. I don't care about you if you don't support me on Patreon. That's how it works. If you have a question about a metric on the website, I will answer you on Patreon. 
if you have a complaint about the show or the website or anything in sports media, I will hear you out on Patreon and I will give you everything I have on Friday afternoons on the Backstage Pass available only to patrons. Last week, I gave you my plays of the week and a complete breakdown of the show Ozark and why I believe it is on a trajectory to surpass Breaking Bad based on the strength of the Wendy Bird character played by Laura Linney. The contrived dichotomy of Wendy Bird versus Skylar White will be the difference between the two shows in the annals of television history if the pages for the episodes continue to be written and written at the level to which Ozark fans like myself have become accustomed through season two. I also shared a harrowing story about a bus ride from hell from Boston South Station to Portland, Maine, in which I had to endure a woman sitting diagonally across from me eating a bowl of cheddar broccoli soup. Don't eat meals on public transportation. That was the mansion lifestyle advice on last week's Backstage Pass. Just go to patreon.com forward slash podfather and support this show. If this show makes you laugh, if this show makes you smile, if this show makes you think, then you are obligated to return value back to the show on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash podfather. And if you're not doing that, then you don't understand how content creators are compensated in 2018 and you are derelict in your duty. And if the show ever goes away, you will ultimately be to blame because right now a small percentage of this audience is supporting the show for the rest of you. Only 10% of this audience supports this show on Patreon. And that is pathetic. Many of you have been listening and enjoying the show while feeling shame. So my lifestyle advice to you today is go to patreon.com forward slash podfather, support the show at the $6 level, get a Roto Underworld t-shirt, get access to the Backstage Pass show, and a weight will be lifted from your shoulders. Like a great weight was lifted from my shoulders on Sunday because I was worried. I didn't know everything I predicted would come true. How would I know that heading into week two? I was anxious. And it was such a magical week. This is how magical week two was for the Podfather. Except that whole bad beat against J.J. Zacharyson in the Apex League, which we will never talk about again. In 2014, I tweeted the following. The year is 2018. After a 211-yard game versus Miami, New England Patriots' Josh Gordon has set the NFL record for receiving yards in a season. <laughs> what? Four years ago, I wrote that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, there are actually buzzards. This is unbelievable, but believable, right? I love that. I love it when something is both believable and not believable. And this is where we are in the country. This is where we are in the world of social media. That multiple buzzards decided to spend time perusing the Patriots schedule to find out when the Miami Dolphins played the New England Patriots. As if the schedule for 2018 was released in 2014, which it was not. Put that aside. These buzzards sleuthed the schedule and found out that it will be impossible for Josh Gordon to break the NFL record for receiving yards 
against the Miami Dolphins because the Patriots' final game against the Dolphins is week 14. Josh Gordon has no chance to break the NFL record for receiving yards in a total of 12 games. It's just not possible. Uh, so a man possessing a time machine, and that man is me, goes back to the year 2014 and writes the most prescient sports tweet of the year, perhaps in the history of social media, and your reflex response is to well actually like that's your first instinct is to well actually that tweet the fuck is wrong with you man celebrate me i was right four years ago told you so oh but i was right about so many things this season and i never do this never i never go through the box scores one of my perpetual laments for years on this show of the tired show structures that the cliche mainstream fantasy football broadcasts force their listeners to endure each and every week. It is painful to listen to fantasy football analysts just walking through the matchups, going game by game down the box score. Just the most cliche hobby horse show structure. I mean, have some creativity. I'll take anything other than the most cliche, mundane, hobby horse show structure. I'm begging you. Stop tediously walking through every game from Sunday. Stop tediously running down the list of upcoming matchups every week. Come up with something new. Oh, maybe listen to the Roto Underworld radio program to get some ideas. And I say this as someone who co-hosts a show on Roto Grinders called Roto Underworld Game Night, in which we meticulously walk through each and every game on the Sunday afternoon slate. <laughs> I am what I hate. Yes. So yes, blatant hypocrisy on Roto Grinders every night at 7 p.m. Tune in live to get it free. Even though the show structure is not original, it's a great show. Why? Because I'm on it. Ultimately, that's what matters. Very few individuals in this industry can supersede a well-worn show structure. I just happen to be one of the few. You drop the Podfather and his harmonica onto a show that just that simply runs through every game, and a funny thing happens. You're entertained. <laughs> So let's double down, shall we? Not only breaking down each Sunday afternoon game in order, but today we will look back at the week two box scores, all 16 of them. But here's the twist, because you can always keep the listener engaged with a tired premise if there's a twist. That's right. And the twist today is I'm not analyzing every performance from every game. I'm just highlighting all the players I was right about because this is a told you so show. You knew when you hit the play button on your podcast app, you were getting a told you so show after week two from the Podfather. You knew what you were getting. And what did we learn on Thursday night? That quarterback doesn't matter. Joe Flacco throws for 376 yards and two touchdowns. Andy Dalton throws for four touchdowns. Stop overdrafting quarterbacks. Think about the one matchup I lost last week. 
Who was I starting at quarterback? Russell Wilson. I drafted quarterback too early in Apex and I lost to J.J. Zacharyson because of it. Had I drafted Joe Flacco or Andy Dalton in the final round, I would be 4-0 in that league. Think about it. And Joe Flacco targeted John Brown 10 times. And John Brown posted 18 fantasy points because of course he did. The skill set fit between John Brown and Joe Flacco created the obvious sleeper candidate of the offseason. Now, a sleeper that was not obvious to many, except yours truly, was Tyler Boyd. We called Tyler Boyd the most underrated slot receiver in the NFL. And what does he do? Equals A.J. Green in targets, not touchdowns. See, Tyler Boyd only had one touchdown to A.J. Green's three. A.J. Green, who was an incredible value in the late second round, (laughs) which we talked about on multiple occasions with multiple analysts on this program. But we also talked about Tyler Boyd. And he went for 691 and won. 21 fantasy points for Tyler Boyd. Why? Because Tyler Boyd possesses the two crowning jewels on the wide receiver prospect profile, the upper percentile dominator rating and the upper percentile breakout age. If you know nothing other than those two values, then you're ahead in both seasonal leagues and especially dynasty leagues. I traded a fifth round pick to a team called the Taco Hunters. In a Dynasty Draftmaster best ball format, and no surprise, I'm well positioned to win. Despite the Jarek McKinnon injury and the Elijah Maguire injury. But I acquired Tyler Boyd, and I'm relying on Joe Flacco to bring me a second consecutive championship in that league. And I like my chances. This Eagles-Buccaneers game features Nick Foles throwing for over 330 yards and Ryan Fitzpatrick with four touchdowns. Quarterback doesn't matter and of the three running backs to receive six or more carries in this game for the philadelphia eagles Corey clement wendell smallwood and jay ajayi jay ajayi delivered the least 23 yards on seven carries one target for four yards because jay ajayi is just a guy and nelson Aguilar was a cash game lock this week against tampa bay And we talked about Chris Godwin on every single show. All Chris Godwin does is score fantasy points. Over 16 more fantasy points for Chris Godwin in week two. Another game from Chris Godwin. Another game in which he's more efficient with his targets than Mike Evans. Mike Evans is now the third most efficient receiver on that roster behind Deshaun Jackson and Chris Godwin. And I told you that would happen. OJ Howard is also outscoring David Njoku in fantasy leagues. And I drafted OJ Howard over David Njoku in the Scott Fish Bowl. Why? Because OJ Howard has a similar athletic profile, but he plays for the Buccaneers instead of the Browns. That was the rationale. And I was right. Carolina, Atlanta. Devin Funchess, seven receptions on nine targets. He is the wide receiver one in Carolina in a game in which... Cam Newton threw the ball 45 times. DJ Moore commanded two targets. I told you not to overdraft DJ Moore this season. Focus your attention on Devin Funchess if you must draft a Carolina Panthers wide receiver. And when you look at Atlanta, Ito Smith does not pop off the page in the box score, but he pops on the field. Watch Ito Smith. He is electric. He's better in space than Tevin Coleman. The Atlanta Falcons will optimize their running game if they focus on running Tevin Coleman off tackle and on pitch sweeps, get him out where he can plant his foot, 
cut back, find a running lane, and explode through it, and dump the ball off to Ito Smith. Run Ito Smith out of the slot. Get Ito Smith the ball in space. And fortunately, Ito Smith did not score a lot of fantasy points last week, so he's still available on most waiver wires, and you don't even need to use a waiver claim to get him. If anything happens to Devontae Freeman or Tevin Coleman, get Ito Smith. That was the mantra all offseason. And for the LA Chargers, Melvin Gordon is a true bell cow. Seven more targets last week for Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon's receiving capability makes up for any deficiencies he may have as a runner. Fading Melvin Gordon because of his historically low yards per carry was bad process. You fade efficiency, you buy opportunity, and you were drafting Melvin Gordon over Kareem Hunt and Leonard Fournette when you did that. And Austin Eckler is the truth. Austin Eckler is one of the best satellite backs in the league. He's not going away. I know Melvin Gordon enthusiasts just want him to go away, but I have a lot of Melvin Gordon in Dynasty, and I don't want Austin Eckler to go away. Austin Eckler is the reason player profiler exists, the 45% dominator rating. And across the board, 40 time, burst score, agility score, all above the 80th percentile. It's just that he went to Western State. That sounds like a fake school. That's why he wasn't drafted earlier. You should be rooting for Austin Eckler in real life, and you should be rostering Austin Eckler in fantasy football. And Josh Allen stinks. He is awful. Josh Allen's QBR, week two, (laughs) 16.1. Told you so. And looking at this Minnesota Green Bay game, we love consolidated target distributions. Chase the consolidated target distributions. That's Stephon Diggs. That's Adam Thielen. That's Kyle Rudolph. 13, 13, and 8. The non-Thielen Diggs Rudolph receivers in that passing game commanded a grand total of 13 targets in a shootout. Think about that. And Jamal Williams was not the top sleeper on the board in fantasy football drafts, despite Mitchell Rentz's hit piece on Fantasy Pros dismissing Aaron Jones as injury-prone. Well, Aaron Jones is back. And Aaron Jones is simply better in all phases than Jamal Williams. It's just a fact. And all your dynasty rosters have Aaron Jones parked in the IR spot because he was suspended for two weeks and you could just activate him. I would activate Aaron Jones this week because as was first reported during the pre-draft process in 2017, Jamal Williams is a replacement level between the tackles grinder who is not a strong receiver. He is not electric in space. He took advantage of missed defensive assignments on a couple screen plays in 2017, inflating his passing game efficiency. But when you zoom out and you look at the Jamal Williams profile, not a strong receiver and not an efficient runner. Another 16 carries for Jamal Williams, 59 yards, no touchdowns. The Green Bay Packers must be ecstatic to get Aaron Jones back. I know I am. And Deshaun Watson, two fumbles, an interception, and four sacks on his way to an 0-2 record in a loss to the Tennessee Titans who started Blaine Gabbert. Deshaun Watson could not overcome the Tennessee defense and Blaine Gabbert. (laughs) The most overrated quarterback in the league has been revealed as a fraud, even with the return of Will Fuller. And his exceptional downfield efficiency, eight receptions, 113 yards, and a touchdown for Will Fuller. Less targets, more production than DeAndre Hopkins for Will Fuller. Will Fuller is simply a fantastic receiver. In fact, 
We've touted Will Fuller as the only wide receiver drafted in the first round since 2014 whose dynasty stock has actually accrued value since he was drafted. It's amazing, but true. So get Will Fuller. Lamar Miller is a fake bell cow. 68 yards rushing, 2 yards receiving, no touchdowns. The quintessential fake bell cow game for Lamar Miller. And Taewon Taylor outproduces Corey Davis. Oh, yeah. Every time Taewon Taylor scores a touchdown, an angel gets its wings. And the number two receiver for the Cleveland Browns is not Antonio Callaway, despite the long touchdown. It's actually Rashard Higgins who matched Jarvis Landry's target total. And I told you that would happen. And Michael Thomas looks like the best receiver in the league and should finish as the fantasy WR1. The number one wide receiver in all of fantasy, Michael Thomas is on a trajectory to finish as the number one wide receiver in fantasy. And I drafted Michael Thomas in multiple seasonal leagues, but I was not running back and forth across my front yard waving a flag with Michael Thomas's face on it. But Michael Thomas personifies zero RB. You drafted Michael Thomas over Leonard Fournette. You drafted Michael Thomas over Kareem Hunt. And you're winning because of it. Zero RB is back because the passing games are back across the league. And the wide receiver one and wide receiver two and wide receiver three production is up across the board. And no surprise, running back production this year is down. This was the perfect year to implement zero RB strategy. See Michael Thomas. And the Miami Dolphins' primary receiver is... Albert Wilson! Wilson! It's happening! He's filling the Jarvis Landry role in Miami as predicted on this program. And who's the number one receiver for the Jets? Oh yeah, that's right! Quincy Inunua! <laughs> Another dominant performance by Quincy Inunua. Prolific production with exceptional efficiency. This is what we ask of our primary receivers. The wide receiver ones, what separates the wide receiver ones in the NFL, is not only the ability to command great volume, but to be efficient in the face of great volume. This is the great failing of Mike Evans, yet Quincy Inunua is up to the task in New York, outproducing Robbie Anderson again, as we predicted. And when you look at Kansas City-Pittsburgh, it's not about the individual players, because fantasy analysts have been laughing in my face for years, going all the way back to my Yahoo Fantasy draft coverage, when I compared Patrick Mahomes to Dan Marino. Could not understand how the Bears would consider drafting Mitchell Trubisky when Patrick Mahomes is on the board, a generational talent at the quarterback position. Certainly better than Deshaun Watson. There he goes, 326 yards, and not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, six touchdowns. And yes, Tyreek Hill received one of those touchdowns because, of course, he did. Someone had to, but he was third on that target totem pole behind Travis Kelsey and Sammy Watkins. We chase targets, not efficiency, and Tyreek Hill is the quintessential sell-high candidate in fantasy football right now. And the best receiver in that 2017 draft class was Juju Smith-Schuster. How did we know? Age-adjusted college dominance. Juju Smith-Schuster posted one of the most dominant sophomore seasons in the history of college football, and that really matters. 
zero RB drafters were selecting Juju Smith-Schuster in the fourth round over far inferior players from Alex Collins to Kenyon Drake to LaShawn McCoy. Those running backs are in flames. Juju Smith-Schuster is catching 13 passes from Ben Roethlisberger in the week's signature shootout for 121 yards and a touchdown. And like Adam Thielen, and like Keenan Allen, more fantasy points than ever are coming out of the slot, which I predicted at the end of 2017. That 2018 would be the year of the slot receiver, and here we are, with Taewon Taylor outproducing Corey Davis. And Andrew Luck is back. He's not all the way back, but he's back. He's throwing footballs. Andrew Luck is incrementally improving. And I believe that this week against the Eagles will be the great unleashing of Andrew Luck, where the driver just lets go of the reins because Andrew Luck will need to be prolific in order to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. And T.Y. Hilton was an exceptional value in round three. Think about the team that so many zero RB drafters are rolling out every Sunday. Think about it. DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas, A.J. Green, T.Y. Hilton, Juju Smith-Schuster, Chris Hogan. Just think about the firepower that zero RB drafters bring to bear each and every week. And again, you look at that Washington receiving core, you're not allowed to be surprised when the team is not as productive and efficient with Alex Smith under center instead of Kirk Cousins. Washington receivers are struggling. And the number one receiver there is not Josh Doxson. It's Paul Richardson. Even though he's being outsnapped by Josh Doxson, he's outproducing both Doxson and Crowder. And he did it last week with a questionable tag. The best value wide receiver in that Washington receiving core is Paul Richardson. It was two weeks ago and it remains so today. And zero RB drafters were targeting Chris Thompson in the fifth round as their first running back drafted. Chris Thompson, 13 receptions for 92 yards. He's a must draft in the fifth round in PPR leagues, according to John Paulson. Then in the sixth round, you draft Marshawn Lynch. He has a touchdown in two consecutive weeks. Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. And we talked on multiple occasions about Philip Lindsay begging NFL coaches to feature the satellite back because feeding the satellite back helps you win games. Give your explosive playmakers as many touches as possible and good things will happen. And the Denver Broncos decided this offseason they wanted to feature Philip Lindsay, and now they're 2-0. But Philip Lindsay has faced an inordinate number of light fronts. We show the average men in the box faced by NFL running backs on playerprofiler.com. And while Royce Freeman has been facing base fronts and stacked fronts, Philip Lindsay has been facing light fronts. So Philip Lindsay's production is not as sustainable as Chris Thompson's production. But it's still encouraging. I still look back on our analysis on the Sonic Truth pod, breaking down the potential, the upside of Philip Lindsay if he's used properly. Because he runs a 4-4. He looks like what Lance Dunbar was pre-injury. Because he has the speed and burst paired with the college production and the incredible college target share, 14.6% college target share. You're not allowed to be surprised when he commands more targets in the passing game than Royce Freeman with that college target share. And once you heard Philip Lindsay would likely make the team, he was an easy add in all dynasty formats. He went undrafted in rookie drafts. If you didn't acquire Philip Lindsay in dynasty, you're derelict in your duty. If you're going to play fantasy football, play to win. Do your job. Get Philip Lindsay. And I was worried about David Johnson. Oh, 
had this program running in the back of my head, a new coaching staff, a new system, the player just missed a full season, and our projections on playerprofiler.com had David Johnson receiving significantly less opportunities this season than Ezekiel Elliott. That's why I drafted Ezekiel Elliott over David Johnson from the three-hole in the Pros versus Joes Fantasy League. I was not sorry then, and I certainly am not sorry now. And Brandon Cooks is not the next Sammy Watkins. This is why Player Profiler exists. You cannot just copy and paste Sammy Watkins' statistics over to Brandon Cooks because the two of them will be playing the same role in the Rams' offense. These are completely different players. Brandon Cooks is far superior to Sammy Watkins at the sport of football. He always has been going back to their time in college. Brandon Cooks has always slotted in ahead of Sammy Watkins on the playerprofiler.com dynasty rankings. You want to see a told you so, track the Brandon Cooks versus Sammy Watkins ranking on the Player Profiler dynasty rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Brandon Cooks is one of the most prolific wide receivers in the history of college football. All he's ever done is produce. And just because he's experiencing a quarterback downgrade, does not mean he's the next Sammy Watkins. He had a full offseason to develop rapport with Jared Goff and to fully internalize the playbook in a way that Sammy Watkins never could. It was an apples and oranges comparison linking Sammy Watkins and Brandon Cooks. Maybe you drafted Brandon Cooks in the fourth round when implementing zero RB. I mean, with that strategy, you can't lose. That's the beauty of it. And Kenny Galladay needs no introduction. Kenny Galladay needs no analysis. Kenny Galladay is the truth. Once you have your starters, the mantra was, get Godwin, get Galladay, get Godwin, get Galladay, chase the upside at wide receiver, especially in traditional fantasy leagues where you can access the waiver wire if things don't work out. And Matt Breida is happening. Watching Ben Gretsch's eyes pop out of the sockets when I compared Matt Breida to the union of Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman on the Roto Underworld game night show on Roto Grinders was a spectacle to behold. And then what happens? Matt Breida, 11 carries for 138 yards and a touchdown. And most importantly, a 75% catch rate out of the backfield, quadrupling Alfred Morris's efficiency last week. Matt Breida is commanding alpha dog status in that backfield. And Kyle Shanahan simply must acquiesce. And you're not allowed to be surprised that Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram are underperforming their ADPs. <laughs> Saquon Barkley was drafted, and Odell Beckham Jr.'s back. Ingram and Shepard go from the one and two, the number one and number two options in that passing game, to the number three and number four options in that passing game. And that's all that matters. The targets are not coming. Evan Ingram will be an inconsistent producer week in, week out. And Sterling Shepard is droppable. But man, can Sterling Shepard run a precise route? Because that really matters. And Ezekiel Elliott will score fantasy points even as a key member of an anemic offense. That's why we have the Dominator rating for running backs. You can see Ezekiel Elliott's share of the overall offense. Spoiler alert, it's enormous. 48.7%. That's why I drafted Ezekiel Elliott over David Johnson. We knew what we were getting with Ezekiel Elliott's touches this season. We did not know when and where David Johnson would get his touches in 2018. That was the great unknown. and There was enough unknown to go Elliott over Johnson. I told you that. The Seattle Seahawks' number one receiver is Tyler Lockett. It is not Brandon Marshall. 
Tyler Lockett, 17 fantasy points on schedule. And Chris Carson is not what he was sold to be. Podfather 1, Film Grinder 0 on Chris Carson. Chris Carson's playing special teams. He's not commanding workhorse touches at the professional level, just like he couldn't command workhorse touches at the college level. And Trey Burton bailed out by a touchdown. What is the fascination with Trey Burton? I do not know because Trey Burton was the poster child for baseless hype all offseason. Just system talk and coach talk, pulling your attention away from the player and focusing more on narrative. If you stuck to the metrics on Trey Burton, you didn't draft him because he's a 235-pound situational move tight end. He's not a target hog. That's Allen Robinson. It always was Allen Robinson who was available in the fourth round and frequently gobbled up by zero RB drafters. I mean, the idea that Trey Burton would out-target Allen Robinson is just so absurd on its face. And yet, that was the analysis heading into week one, remember? Why do you think fantasy football leagues are so easy to win? Because the sheep are so often led astray by nonsense analysis. And I like Rex Burkhead. I do. I really do. I like Rex Burkhead as a player. I have Rex Burkhead in Dynasty, but I was not drafting Rex Burkhead in seasonal leagues. Rex Burkhead jumped the shark the moment the Patriots announced Sony Michelle's knee procedure. And what is the rule of thumb with the ambiguous backfields? Especially those running backs operating in prolific offenses. Just draft the least expensive asset. If you're choosing between three, like last year, the least expensive Patriots running back was Deion Lewis, and he was the correct play. This year, it was James White who led the Patriots in receiving again. James White is the most productive running back on that team, and he also had the highest ADP, as we predicted. Now turning my attention to the Jacksonville Jaguars. (sighs) Oh boy, oh boy. Have you been waiting for it? You knew it's coming, right? You knew it. You knew that I purposefully spent 30 minutes walking through these box scores just to build the suspense. You knew I was saving the best for last. You had to. Anyone who's a true fan of the show, especially those who support this show on Patreon, they know. Pointing at you, you knew. You knew what was coming. You had to. It's a Keelan Coldhead party! Uh. Uh, uh. <laughs> Keelan is the key. Cold. Cold as ice. And you also know that before we talk to our guests, we talk about our sponsor. And this week, it is my bookie. I don't often give gambling advice, but when I do, I say take the over in every game on the slate. Look at the over-unders in week two versus week three at the sports books. This was my great criticism of the week two slate. Not enough implied points across the board. And sure enough, game after game after game after game smashes the over-under. So go to mybookie.com and play some over-unders. And the best way to do it is to pull up any player page on playerprofiler.com. Look to the right, and you can browse the props for that player on my bookie with a single click. So go do that. 
And now I will go talk to Heath Cummins from CBS Sports Fantasy. Follow him at Heath Cummings SR on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program. Heath Cummings from CBS Sports Fantasy. His second ride on the Underworld show, Roller Coaster. Heath Cummins, talk to me. It was a roller coaster of takes the last time that I was on. I believe there was some absolute fire and then... I remember! Some things that still don't look very good. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. We don't think about the wrong opinions and the hot takes that never came to fruition. We celebrate the correct takes and we move on. And that way we can stay sane in this business. That sounds like a perp. So I'll just I'll just remind everyone that I think the last time I was on was like middle of the season last year, and I may have said I still believe Patrick Mahomes is better than Deshaun Watson. Bam, bam. Thank you, thank you for saying that. We're just looking for confirmation <laughs> bias, right? Who can come on the program to agree with the hottest of takes to confirm what we already believe that Patrick Mahomes is the NFL's next great gunslinger, and that it's not actually Deshaun Watson. And then what happened last week? Oh, mm, yeah, that's right. The Houston Texans lost to the lowly Tennessee Titans with Blaine Gabbard at quarterback. Everything falling apart around Marcus Mariota, Corey Davis, and the Tennessee Titans. And yet the Houston Texans couldn't beat that team. And we love DeAndre Hopkins. We love Will Fuller in fantasy football. But when you think about the Titans... Just think about the Titans for a moment in the context of fantasy football. Are you interested in any Titans whatsoever? I'm interested in Deion Lewis for as long as he remains upright. I don't know how long we should expect that to be because it looks like the Titans are going to be in a lot of bad game scripts or good game scripts for him, which means he's probably going to get more work than his body can handle. And it's probably not going to end well. But as long as he's healthy, yeah, I'm I'm starting him as a a low-end RB2. I mean, the underreported takeaway from the last two weeks in fantasy football is that Derrick Henry is trending toward not happening. That's not a topic most fantasy analysts even want to broach. You just don't even want to go there. We're two weeks in. It feels too early, but I'm ready to call Derrick Henry a bust. He sure looks like a bust, and I don't know that I own him in any redraft leagues, but I have him on several dynasty rosters, and I've been waiting for this moment when DeMarco Murray's finally shipped out of Nashville. Derrick Henry can take over the backfield. It lasted all about 10 days, it feels like. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a complete disaster in Tennessee. Okay, let's play a game. Rapid fire. Bust, no bust. David Johnson? I'm going to say no bust because I have confidence that someone will show Mike McCoy tape of the 2016 Cardinals and the other positions that you can line David Johnson up in and that he will be okay. He's not running routes out of the slot like he did in 2016. That's the big difference. Will they go back and install retro David Johnson plays we shall see but I can't believe we're having this conversation like I can't believe that question is on the show sheet Buster no bust David Johnson after week two but here we are if anything 
David Johnson will be facing a lot of negative game script, just like Deion Lewis. Will he be active in the passing game? Everything hinges on that. Bust or no bust, Leonard Fournette. That's that's a good Mm. one. I'll go no bust. I I think they really do plan on using him more in the passing game this year than they did last year. And I expect that I kind of think he's going to come back this week. But even if he doesn't, if he misses another week, I, I expect he'll be good after that. Seven targets, six receptions for 56 yards for Corey Grant in the passing game. They are activating Corey Grant, and he's not going away. When Leonard Fournette is healthy, it's hard to call a player a bust if one of the two weeks he doesn't play because he's hurt. But when he comes back, I am expecting Leonard Fournette to be used very little in the passing game because Corey Grant is now established as that team satellite back, and every time you watch him play, you see the electricity. That 6 for 56, 9.3 yards per reception, the box score doesn't do Corey Grant justice. Those seven targets were very important. You can't find a more important seven-target game by a player in Week 2 than those seven targets for Corey Grant. They mean everything. They mean this player has been activated on Sundays to be used. That's exciting. That also throttles Leonard Fournette's projected opportunity share for the rest of the season slightly, but not a bust. I'll say not a bust right now. Bust, no bust. Alex Collins. <gasps> yeah. yeah. Every one of these, you're just like sticking a knife right in my heart. Uh, this is one of those situations. Early round running backs. Early round running backs. The Buck Allen fullback dive has absolutely Woo! crushed Alex Collins. Woo! And the thing is, like, Alex Collins is better at every single thing that you would ever ask a running back to do than Buck Allen. He catch, he's better after he catches the ball. Buck Allen will catch it and then fall down after five yards. I am going to say no bust. Rex Burkhead. Bust. It's over, man. It looks like it's over. The lesson with these ambiguous backfields is you always draft the least expensive asset, like Deion Lewis last year with his Patriots backfield, especially those that are the strongest pass catchers. It just so happens that James White checked both those boxes, and in the double-digit rounds, he was the clear running back, Patriots running back, to bet on this offseason. So, yeah, Rex Burkhead jumped the shark in fantasy football. Rashad Penny? I'll say no bust so far, because like as much as Pete Carroll talks about how Chris Carson's our guy, Chris Carson is our lead running back, then he just keeps finding himself playing Rashad Penny. And playing... Chris Carson on special teams. So the second half usage last night showed you how Pete Carroll feels about his running backs, that their primary back is Rashad Penny. It's not Chris Carson. And we need to see more from Rashad Penny now that that finger injury has healed and he is starting to seize that backfield. And you could see him in week three become finally the established alpha dog. I need to see how Rashad Penny plays in week three before I determine whether or not he is a bust. Bust, no bust. Peyton Barber. Bust. I feel very bad about this. Now, Peyton Barber was an easy draft pick in the eighth and ninth rounds because the opportunity cost was not significant. You could have... Peyton Barber, or you could have Duke Johnson, or you could have Tariq Cohen. All those guys are busts at this point, right? Yes, completely. (laughs) Running back position is is an apocalypse in fantasy football right now. Think about it. Oh, it's completely disastrous. And 
the thing the thing about it is like yes, Le'Veon Bell sat out, so that hasn't been good, and David Johnson's not doing well. I went zero RB in more drafts than I didn't this year, and I say zero RB, and I and that means something different to everyone. I'm not using the standard definition of the term, I'm sure, but I went the first four or five rounds without a running back in a large majority of my drafts. Yeah, you were likely drafting in the back half of the first round. And if you're drafting in the back half of the first round, your league mates determined your draft strategy for you, necessitating zero RB. I'm sure you went DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones in some leagues, other leagues, perhaps Antonio Brown, Michael Thomas. And in those leagues, spoiler alert, you're winning. It worked. It worked. So, it's, I mean, it's two weeks. It's a little bit early for a victory lap, but... It's never too early for victory laps on Roto Underworld Radio, Heath. It's what we do. And who knows? Things might go bad next week, and I would have missed a perfectly good opportunity to take a victory lap. Well, the NFL itself is doing a victory lap, right? Because the NFL is back. Scoring is up. Engagement is up. Audience ratings up, up, up across the board. Is football better off with this less vicious version of the NFL with more scoring? Is everybody winning at this point? I think it probably is, and I think it may be the only way long-term to survive. It's a short-term win and a long-term strategy that makes sense. It's just rational. Absolutely. I mean, big hits are great, but those are the types of things that were causing youth football participation and high school football participation to go down as well. And we... The game has to evolve a little bit, as everyone else does, and I, there's certainly some really awful, awful roughing the quarterback penalties happening right now as we make go through this adjustment period. But long term, yes, I, I think it's better for the game. Yeah, the running back position is in ashes right now, and rising from those ashes are the wide receiver twos in fantasy football. Are we in the midst of a great wide receiver two renaissance? It feels like there are like uh, 18 number one wide receivers now. Doesn't it? I love this. The wide receiver's back. It's awesome. It's uh, the only thing that's frustrating about it is when you've got these teams where two different receivers are getting 25 plus percent of the targets. And on a week to week basis, that makes it a little bit difficult in terms of projections. But no, it's awesome. There are wide receivers all over the place. More three and four receiver sets. They're spreading the ball around. It's all the more important to find those under the radar consolidated target distribution teams like the Vikings. We know the Vikings in years past, the Broncos. Give me another one. Give me the one no one's talking about where the targets have consolidated around a couple receivers and you believe that that team can support two target hogs. A little different answer because you said two and Robert Woods has been a disappointment so far. But the Rams, like they did not throw a pass to a tight end in week one. Yeah, that's even better. If you could actually sustain three fantasy relevant wide receivers for a full season, the only way to do that is to never target the tight end and to throttle back on the running back targets, and that's exactly what's happening in Los Angeles. Yeah, I was I was shocked as I was going through targets and looked at the Rams and saw that Todd Gurley has eight targets in two weeks. It's a problem. That's not great, but when you're on one of the best teams in football and you score two or three rushing touchdowns a week, it doesn't really matter. You can do without those targets, and we've got Wood. I mean, Robert Woods leads the Rams in targets right now. He's going to be fine. 
Now, Robert Woods is my favorite GPP play in fantasy football this week. That will be a shootout, as most games have been in the NFL. Rams-Chargers sounds a hell of a lot like a shootout, does it not? And don't be surprised when Robert Woods continues to lead this team in targets and shake loose for a touchdown. Have one of those Juju Smith-Schuster type games. I mean, how good is Juju Smith-Schuster? He is awesome. And is Antonio Brown just mad because Juju is so good? Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the explanation. That's why he's skipping his Tuesday morning meeting. Because usually when, when and we know receivers are divas, they do this. It's okay. It's part of the position, and, and I'm on board with it. But generally, they do this when they didn't get enough targets, and then we have the squeaky wheel game, and it's it's very exciting. Yeah, it's going to be a squeaky wheel game for Antonio Brown. It's just, it's so exciting. It can't be a squeaky wheel game when you lead the NFL by in targets by 10%. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Antonio Brown will have a squeaky wheel game even as he leads the <laughs> NFL in targets. Don't worry. He'll find a way to squeak and get more targets. The real problem for Antonio Brown is that Ben's not been very good or he's not been very good when he's thrown to him. He's got 55% of his targets for nine yards per reception. Juju, in the first two weeks of the season, has outproduced and outplayed him. Ben Roethlisberger last week. Here's his stats, right? 452 yards and three touchdowns with a rushing touchdown. Now, what if I told you that not only was Ben Roethlisberger outscored last week, he was outscored by another quarterback in that game. How amazing is that? Yeah, I mean... Patrick Mahomes is the greatest thing that's ever happened to football. I mean, it really is. I mean, are you at all surprised that Patrick Mahomes is an upgrade for the Chiefs and Alex Smith is a downgrade for Washington? I I can't believe that we're actually talking about this as if it wasn't self-evident all along. Alex Smith is Alex Smith, man. I am surprised that Patrick Mahomes is an upgrade for the Chiefs this fast. I long term, I had little doubt that he was going to be an upgrade over Alex Smith. I did not expect in the very first two games of the season, he'd have 10 touchdown passes and zero interceptions, especially the zero interceptions part. And a lot of it's Andy Reid. But the key with Patrick Mahomes, and it's the reason that we've seen Kareem Hunt's target share drop down to 3% of the team's targets. Alex Smith looked one place, maybe looked two places, and then looked to see where the defensive line was and ran or dumped it off. Patrick Mahomes keeps his eyes downfield, finds the open man. He's not looking to drop the ball off behind the line of scrimmage. A frequent question I asked all offseason to my guests, this uptick in running back targets is that a blip or a trend? And we're now seeing the answer. It was a blip. It was not a trend. It was a function of degraded quarterback play due to aging quarterbacks moving out of the league as other quarterbacks were getting injured before this influx of quarterback talent was ready to blossom. Now everything is clicking into place at the quarterback position. The veteran quarterbacks are staying good. The young quarterbacks are ascending. And across the league, quarterback play is more efficient just as the rules are changing on opposing defenses. It's the confluence of forces that we've been waiting for if you're a fan of offense. Oh, yeah. I think the only place where running back targets are going up is where Alex Smith went. (laughs) Big shocking. I mean, this is so shocking. But with the tide rising on pass attempts and overall offensive efficiency across the league, even though quarterbacks are scoring more points, do they matter any more than they used to in fantasy football? No. No, I got a lot of questions over the last 
36 hours, do I sell high on Patrick Mahomes? And full disclosure, I am the biggest Patrick Mahomes homer in America. And of course, of course you sell high. You always sell high on quarterback. Well, you can make sure his bags are packed, that he hasn't forgotten anything in his locker, right? <laughs> do you have all your belongings, Patrick? Okay, well, we'll see you later. Off to get a skill position player to help me win my fantasy league. And moving on to literally any other quarterback in the league, with the exception of Josh Allen. Like Ryan Fitzpatrick, for example. Ryan Fitzpatrick, is he a literal Buccaneer? Yes, absolutely, 100%. I don't know that he'll be a Buccaneer starting quarterback in three weeks, but I'm riding him for now. What if he plays well again in week three? If Ryan Fitzpatrick plays well in week three, is Jameis Winston the starter in week six after their bye? I don't think that they can replace Fitzmagic until he turns back into Fitzpatrick. Right, yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. The spell has to be broken for him to lose his job. But it will happen. Like, he's not doing this for six. Not Obviously, he's not doing this. He's got like a he's averaging 14 yards per attempt or something. He's not going to be an above average starting quarterback for 16 games. You see what I did there with the magic spell being broken? Oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Yes. Turning the phrase on Roto Underworld Radio is the podfather. Look at the supporting cast that Ryan Fitzpatrick has enjoyed in Tampa Bay. Mike Evans, who may be the third best receiver on that team. Think about it. Deshaun Jackson, Chris Godwin, O.J. Howard. I mean, how important are supporting casts to quarterback production? More than half of their, like, of the overall factor. It's a big deal, right? It's something that's not talked about enough. It's the whole reason why Alex Smith was a top five fantasy quarterback last season. It wasn't because he suddenly stopped being Alex Smith. Well, and how bad is Dirk Cutter at calling plays, apparently? Like, he hands over the reins to the play calling in Tampa Bay, and all of a sudden, oh yeah, all of these amazing receivers are amazing. This Ryan Fitzpatrick guy, he's pretty smart. That's what I've heard. Yep. Did you know he went to Harvard? That is something I heard. I'm going to look it up just to make sure. I I don't believe it, but there's no way good football players can come from Harvard, but I'll check it out. I'll get back to you. What week are we going to see Baker Mayfield? Uh, I really thought that Tyra Taylor was going to be better than this, but now with Josh Mm. Gordon gone. Yeah. Well, I did last week. I was expecting more from Tyrod Taylor going to New Orleans. I wonder. My my original thought was he will make it as long as the starting quarterback as Hugh makes it as the head coach. Mm. And I wouldn't put it past me. Maybe Todd Haley is just sabotaging Taylor because Todd Haley is obviously going to be the head coach at some point this year. Oh. Um, not Greg Williams. Oh, I hope not. I hope not. Oh, please, no. I mean, it's hard to cheer for someone or even or for Todd Haley over anyone, but you can you can root for him over Greg Williams. Yeah, I mean, these are both loathsome characters, right? Todd Haley and Greg Williams. Greg Williams with the fake hair, fake glasses, fake goatee, and Todd Haley never wearing clothes, just being insufferable at all times. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'll say week six. I, that's a fair estimate. Speaking of quarterback not mattering, Blake Bortles. How much money did Blake Bortles make himself in week two? He can really run. He's a very good running quarterback. Athletic. And uh, listen, Pete Prisco works down here in Fort Lauderdale with me and sits uh, at a desk pretty close to mine and is a much bigger believer in current Blake Bortles than I am. Uh, I wouldn't want him throwing 45 passes a game regularly when I have the best defense in the NFL. That's fair, but I do think that he is playing better, and I think it makes sense because 
you lose Allen Robinson, and your best receiver is Marquise Lee in 2017, and your production tanks. This makes sense. And then you receive an influx of talent in the form of Dante Moncrief and Austin Safarian Jenkins, paired with the development of D.D. Westbrook and Keelan Cole. Supporting cast matters. It matters so much that it can buoy even Blake Bortles at the NFL level. It's amazing. And now the Jacksonville Jaguars have a satellite back they've never had in Corey Grant. So when you look across the league and you look at these satellite backs, we're looking for the next Chris Thompson. Now, is that Corey Grant? Is that Philip Lindsay? Austin Eckler? Who's your favorite emerging satellite back? Oh, it's Austin Eckler, because I think he may be just a little bit more than a satellite back as well. I like watching him run, love what he does in the passing game, and I think the Chargers especially with their current situation at tight end because they're an offense that's always really leaned heavily on tight end. Antonio Gates has nothing left at all. He is absolutely stealing money. It's over. Virgil Green is the best tight end on the team, and we know how good Virgil Green is. So I, I don't think it's any coincidence that they've really targeted both Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler heavily. I think that'll continue throughout the year, and you can start both in PPR on a week-to-week basis. Think about who the receivers are. It's Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Tyrell Williams. Neither of these receivers are one-dimensional slot receivers. Now, Keenan Allen runs a lot of his routes out of the slot, but he's more of an intermediate route specialist. No one is operating around the line of scrimmage that's going to command volume with the exception of these two running backs. So I think that at the end of the season, we'll be looking back at the L.A. Chargers, and they will have the highest running back target share of any passing game. They will essentially be the New Orleans Saints West. And for that reason, you get not only Phillip Rivers, but you get Austin Eckler, you get Melvin Gordon, you get Keenan Allen, and even the Williams brothers. But in that scenario that I just outlined, Austin Eckler is Alvin Kamara. Oh, I like it. I like it a lot. I mean, he won't be last year's Alvin Kamara, but Alvin Kamara is not going to be last year's Alvin Kamara. So exactly. Yep. Okay. Rapid fire buy high on these running backs and maybe a receiver buy high on James Connor. Yes. Ooh, that is a subversive. When is Le'Veon Bell coming back question? Yeah. And I hate that question. I hate that question. It's a cliche question. I would never ask that question on the show. Right. Uh, because like, that's one of the things I can't come up with a spreadsheet that's going to help me figure out when Le'Veon Bell is coming back. He is burning Close to a million dollars every week. On a jet ski. Yeah, I spent the entire summer telling people, don't worry about it. He's not going to burn money. He's doing it. And so I can't guess when he's going to stop burning money. But I do expect that for as long as James Conner's a starting running back, he's a top five running back. So buy high on James Conner. Buy high on Matt Breida. Buy the breakout. Yes, buy the breakout yes. on Matt Breida. I- yes! I was buying Matt Breida before Jarek McKinnon got hurt because I figured eventually Jarek McKinnon was going to get hurt. Well, if you can't have one of the most athletic running backs outside of Saquon Barkley and Jarek McKinnon, you might as well have one (laughs) of the other most athletic running backs outside of Saquon Barkley and Matt Breida. Absolutely. I mean, are we really surprised that he's outperforming Alfred Morris? No. I like Alf. Will you be surprised when Aaron Jones outperforms Jamal Williams in week three? Buy high on Aaron Jones? I think you have to buy on Aaron Jones right now. Might sound crazy, but it ain't no lie. 
it was a it was not a great setup for Jamal Williams to get a two week audition, but he didn't uh, he didn't do anything to hold Jones off. So I still think the first couple of weeks that Jones is back, we'll see Williams get the majority of the touches. But I can't bet on him holding on to that any longer. Get ready, get ready. Oh, I'm ready. Hold on to your chair. I don't want you falling off. Bye, high on Josh Gordon. Oof. This feels a lot like the Le'Veon Bell situation, doesn't it? You mean a cliche question that no, no. <laughs> that I should be ashamed to ask, but I found a clever game in which to pose the question. Um, if here's here's what I'll say about Josh Gordon, and it's a completely gutless hedge. Josh Gordon could be a top five wide receiver the rest of the season. He could also be the number six receiver on the Patriots depth chart. Did you see my tweet from 2014? No. Let me read it to you. I mean, I probably did back in 2014, but I turned. I, I haven't uh, gone back to look at it. Well, I retweeted it yesterday. Okay. And I'm not the guy that retweets himself. You are, actually. <laughs> of course, I'm the guy that retweets myself. What are we talking about here? This from the Podfather in 2014. The year is 2018. After a 211-yard game versus Miami, New England Patriots' Josh Gordon has set the NFL record for receiving yards in a season. That is something. That is something. Now, buzzards around me have checked the schedule, realizing that the Miami Dolphins play the Patriots in Week 14 makes that prediction impossible. Can you believe that the buzzards around me in this show decided to well-actually that fucking tweet of all tweets? People hate the success of other people, and you reached the pinnacle with this tweet, and so the only thing they have to do is try to tear you down. They know they'll never have a tweet as good as that tweet. Hashtag haters. Now, rapid fire, buy low, Kareem Hunt. Bye. Marlon Mack. Bye. Bye. Yes, 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 thank you. I needed that. I needed that. All right. Wide receiver buy low. Is this the lull in which we should be going out and targeting Kenny Stills in trade? I'm scared to death. And here's the reason why. It has uh, nothing to do with Kenny Stills. He's awesome. Mm. He's very, very good. Okay. Um, our host, Adam Azer, we, were, we spent most of the summer trying to convince him that Kenny Stills was the single greatest value in the hi- history of drafts. And he sure looked like it. <laughs> he looked like it after week one. Yes. He was like, he had around 1380p on our site. So yes, he was. He, he's already justified that with one good game. But uh, Adam did bring up a point that a lot of Kenny Stills' best games have come when Ryan Tannehill was not the quarterback. And so far this season, he did have a great game in week one, but you go and you look at the Dolphins' targets for the first two weeks of the season, and Kenny Stills is tied with Kenyon Drake for fourth on the team in targets. Behind, Jakeem Grant, who leads the team, Danny Amendola, and Albert Wilson. That scares me. Ryan Tannehill is a game manager, and he's not a shot-taking game manager like Alex Smith. He's a lesser version of of Alex Smith. He feeds his slot receiver, whether his name is Jarvis Landry or now Albert Wilson or Danny Amendola. Or Jakeem Grant. The Dolphins went out and acquired as many slot receivers as were available in free agency because they knew their quarterback was Ryan Tannehill. And the player that suffers most is Kenny Stills. Now, rapid fire, sell high, sell high on Jay Ajayi. That might be hard right now. Because uh, reports coming out today that he may not play in week three. Oh, well, that's a dumb question then. I was <laughs> selling the three touchdowns. So you sell Jay Ajayi regardless. Get rid of Jay Ajayi if anyone will give you anything for him. Sell high on Sammy Watkins? I think so. I think so. He is he is clearly the third favorite in this passing game. The thing that gives me pause, I, I would have... Um, 
I was way down on Sammy. But then you look at the first two games and what we talked about with him not dumping the ball off. Kareem Hunt has two targets on the season. Watkins, Hill, and Kelsey have combined for 42. If this this may turn into one of those target consolidation offenses you were talking about. But in week one, three catches, 21 yards. That's true. In a game in which the Kansas City Chiefs scored 38 points. I think he's a boomer bust option. And the Kansas City Chiefs are not going to be in a shootout every week. They can't face the Chargers and the Steelers every week. It's not going to happen. They're going to go to Denver and have one of those 20 to 19 games in which Sammy Watkins goes two for 15 and that's that's going to happen yes i agree it, i guess maybe i'm a little confused what the perceived value on sammy watkins is out there well my feeling is that sammy watkins goes out and has a big game with patrick mahomes looking prolific and his value in fantasy football spikes based on the brand equity that sammy watkins brings to the table that may not be the case my perception of sammy watkins value in fantasy football may just be wrong but I think if you can get a significant asset in return for Sammy Watkins, now is the time to sell. Agree 100% with that. Now, what about Amari Cooper? I'm not ready to sell on Amari Cooper yet. This is the game he's back, right? So he went out and he slayed the Denver Broncos, which most of us did not see coming. I benched Amari Cooper in a handful of leagues, and because I went 0RB, I couldn't lose no matter what wide receiver I played. I slayed Chris Hogan two touchdowns. Thank you very much. But I was pleasantly surprised to see him post a 100% catch rate as the target hog against Denver. The only question I have, and this is early in the season to be saying this, but I'm not completely convinced that Denver's defense is good. I don't think they're bad by any stretch of the imagination. Well, they're getting older, and there's no more Aqib Tlaib. Aqib Tlaib runs Sammy Watkins' routes better than he does. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Chris Harris is awesome. But he's a slot corner. He's the only person in that secondary that scares me. Yeah, there's a reason why Jordy Nelson went two for 30, because he was playing in the slot, which is where Chris Harris operates. Okay, rapid fire, sell low. Okay, this one's sell low. This is very confusing, I know. But sell low on Devontae Freeman. Just Yeah, yeah I mean, if you could get a, a starting running back of any type. Anything, right? I think get anything for him. He may not play again this year. It, it's not encouraging, for sure. Sell low on LaShawn McCoy? Yes. I, I might I might even just drop him for someone on the waiver wire. And you're dropping Kelvin Benjamin as well. So if you own a bill, just get rid of him. Yes. Just run and hide from Buffalo Bills. The one, I, I have a little bit of hesitation on Kelvin Benjamin, just because I, I do think we've only seen this Bills team so far against good defenses. And Josh Allen, by week seven or eight, could just be normal Ryan Fitzpatrick. And if that's the case, he may throw the ball eight times a game to Kelvin Benjamin with good game scripts for Benjamin, and he's a fine wide receiver three. Kelvin Benjamin's total target distance, also known as air yards, for the season, 165, is top 30 in the league. His average target distance, 16.5, is number 12 in the league. And his target premium, which looks at his per-target efficiency compared to the other receivers in the Bills' passing game, is plus 7%, which is top 40 in the league. So he's actually not the problem in Buffalo. Oh, no, not at all. And I would like to see one more game of Kelvin Benjamin with Josh Allen to see if Josh Allen, who likes to throw the ball to the outside, can get Kelvin Benjamin going. I think that's an interesting take. 
we should hold Kelvin Benjamin one more week in deeper leagues. The problem is I think you actually want to see two more games. And I, that's hard to stomach. But they're at they're at Minnesota this week. Oh, he's facing Xavier Rose this week? Oh, that's <laughs> it. It's, it's over. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Let me ask a legitimate question. Do the Lions have the NFL's best receiving core? Yeah, I, that's tough. It depends. Like, if you're talking about top three and maybe you're waiting the third receiver, I think Marvin Jones is a really good third receiver. That's right. That's what I'm saying because the other alternative is the Steelers. Their third receiver is James Washington. We think he's going to be good, but we don't have evidence yet. In Minnesota, their third receiver is Laquan Treadwell, who we wanted to be good, but likely is just a guy at the NFL level. I, yeah, I just think you could make an argument that Antonio Brown... Juju and you is the best wide receiving core in the NFL. And I think that's totally fair. Yeah. Over under 12 targets for Nelson Aguilar this week. Hmm. That's a good number. That's a, that's a like, that's, can we, let's do an 11 and a half or 12 and a half. 12 and a half. Under. Oh, I, <laughs> I got to hold my ground on these over unders. Over <laughs> under 12 targets for Zach Ertz. Because this is the ultimate consolidated target share with no Mike Wallace. It's just. Aguilar and Ertz, Ertz, Aguilar. They also don't have a, 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 no a, because no Darren Sproles, no Alshon Jeffrey, no Mike Wallace. Who else? Oh yeah, for sure. I I believe the third guy in targets, uh, third receiver is now Kamar Aiken. No, I I think that's right. And I took, had a, did a double take when I started going over uh, week two numbers. Is that who you've got as their number two? Uh, in week. Let's see. I'm looking at the numbers right now. In week two, 13 targets for Ertz, 12 for Aguilar, 6 for Kamar Aiken, 6 for Josh Perkins. We have to rank Kamar Aiken this week. This makes me sad. I'm ready to rank Andrew Luck higher than consensus, though. He didn't play well last week, but for me, it's about incremental progress. The fact that he's healthy and he's improving. Do you think that this is the week against Philadelphia that we see Andrew Luck all the way back? The thing that I struggle with this week is Andrew Luck versus Carson Wentz in my rankings. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And they're both really borderline number one quarterbacks. I've been higher on the consensus the first two weeks on Luck, and that's not worked out great. Um, I, I think he's a fine starting quarterback, but I'm not particularly excited about him this week. I think this is the under-the-radar shootout of the week, just like Philadelphia-Tampa Bay was the under-the-radar shootout last week. Now, we talked briefly about James Washington. Anthony Miller disappointed again. It seems we've been fooled by this rookie wide receiver class, and it's now the fourth consecutive year where rookie wide receivers were overdrafted in seasonal leagues. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, yeah. I think there's a chance the best rookie wide receiver wasn't drafted in drafts, and that was Antonio Callaway. Right. Antonio Callaway looks to be the most valuable rookie receiver in the league right now. This is unbelievable. So Antonio Callaway is this year's Keelan Cole. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that's perfectly fair. I think he's the best. He's obviously the best deep threat on that team, and he fits that Josh Gordon role really well. Who does Keelan Cole remind you of? Uh, I don't. I do, no, you're not going to like the. You're going to hate the answer. Say it. Just say it. Just say it. He that feels good. It feels good, man. Just say it. I know who you want to say. Just say it. I don't it. think you do. I'm going to say uh, Miles Austin. That's that's okay. That's good. Miles Austin was a WR1 in fantasy one season. Yeah. He had an outstanding year. He reminds me of Antonio Brown. Oh, 
wow. Wow. Straight face. Look into the camera. That Oh, I, I, I see. There is no shtick here. Straight face. No smile. No smirk. Straight face. Keelan Cole. Antonio Brown. Same guy. Don't at me. So, last night we saw Seahawks lose again. <laughs> I mean, this is hilarious. Pete Carroll's going to get fired after this season. If you read the article outlining the failure of the Seattle Seahawks franchise, the dynasty that never was in Sports Illustrated. Pete Carroll failed when he started treating Russell Wilson differently than other players. And the cascading effect of giving Russell Wilson special treatment has led the, led the Seattle Seahawks, according to this article, to where they are now, which is flailing around the NFL. Drafting a running back in the first round with the only early round draft capital that you possessed. I mean, just wrong-headed maneuver after wrong-headed maneuver. And now you look at the Seattle Seahawks roster. Who is their number two receiver? Brandon Marshall. Exactly. <laughs> and Brandon Marshall has only one comp on playerprofiler.com of an active player. And that player is Devin Funches. Yet fantasy gamers hate Devin Funches. I mean, hating Devin Funches has become a sport in and of itself. Why? He was good again last week. He just didn't score a touchdown. Well, he's... I don't have a good answer for it. It doesn't make sense. What did he do to people? Well, it's fun to make the joke that he's actually a tight end. And that's a fun joke to make. And the ease of fun Why joke, do they call him a trash can? I've never called him a trash can, so I don't, I don't know that. They do. You've heard it. Um, because that's his catch radius. <laughs> I'm just throwing things out there. See if anything sticks. We have no choice, but to go to another game, another rapid fire game to pivot away from that blasphemy against Devin Funches. It was just a guess. Rapid fire. Is this player for real? Mike Williams. I love Mike Williams upside, but he has not earned enough of Philip Rivers trust yet. I don't believe to be for real in fantasy. Thank you. That question was a trap, Heath, and you sidestepped it beautifully. For real, Calvin Ridley? No. No. If Antonio Callaway will be the most productive rookie wide receiver this season, then that necessarily means that Calvin Ridley is not yet for real. Tyler Boyd? Absolutely. 100% yes. Thank you. Yes. If Tyler Boyd's name was John Ross, he would be 90% owned in fantasy leagues. Fantasy gamers are so fickle with their wide receivers. With Devin Funches, with Tyler Boyd, I am baffled by wide receiver perceptions. I don't understand how these perceptions are formed of players like Tyler Boyd and Devin Funches who were dominant at the college level at an early age and have been in the league three years and are still only 24 years old. It just makes sense that they are breaking out now. These players are simply on schedule for a breakout, and you're not allowed to be surprised. Tyler Boyd holds the two crowning jewels of quality wide receiver prospect profiles in his hand. Early breakout age, high college dominator. Maybe he's just good at football, and it's not a big deal. Yeah, I think he absolutely is. And even if you're questioning... His talent, just from the first two weeks of the season, it is abundantly clear 
This is a team we left out of the consolidated targets. 17 targets for A.J. Green, 14 for Tyler Boyd, nobody else with more than eight, and that's Gio Bernard and Joe Mixon. Well, that's the answer to the question. The -the under-the-radar target consolidated team is the Cincinnati Bengals. Also, the New York Jets, because the targets are consolidating around Quincy Inunua and whoever else is the number two. Maybe it's Robbie Anderson. Maybe it's Terrell Pryor. It's certainly not Jermaine Curse. That was one of the more encouraging outcomes of week two, the lack of usage for Jermaine Curse. Finally, I mean, mercifully, years after the most spectacular catch I've ever seen, even more spectacular than the Julian Edelman catch over the middle of the field against the Atlanta Falcons was the catch by Jermaine Curse against the Patriots where he kicked the ball up into the air, then he kicked it with his knee and then his elbow, and he finally came down with it all while writhing around on the ground. He's out of the picture. This is the Quincy Anunwa show. Is he for real? First off, it doesn't matter if he's for real. Sam Darnold is in love with him and is going to target him 10 times a game, and anyone's good with 10 targets a game. But I actually think he's for real, too. The only frustration I have is I'm a big Rob... For real! I'm a big Robbie Anderson guy, and I'm hoping that Sam Darnold decides to look downfield a little bit more later as the year goes on. But for now, Quincy Anun was a top 20 wide receiver. And Robbie Anderson is a sell-low candidate, sadly. Oh, unfortunately, yes. Okay, rapid-fire contrived dichotomy. We're setting a record for rapid-fires on Roto Underworld Radio. That was a tongue twister, but I'm the pod father, so you're welcome. Marvin Jones or Robert Woods? I'll take Robert Woods. These are meant to be challenging, by the way. It's very challenging. The only hesitation I have is I kind of think the Lions might just not be able to stop anyone or run the ball, and Matt Stafford might throw 650 passes again, and they don't have a tight end. So that could give the edge to Jones. But from what I've seen early in the season, I'll say Woods. Kenny Galladay was an incredible value all summer because the Lions don't have a tight end of consequence. When you lose your pass-catching tight end, the law of the conservation of targets dictates that more targets funnel out to the wide receivers. And that's Kenny Galladay, but that's also Marvin Jones. And I think that the Lions will find themselves facing significant negative game script this season because their head coach, Matt Patricia, is out of his element. He is the personification of the Peter principle at the NFL level. Because of that, the pass volume will skyrocket in Detroit. This makes Matthew Stafford an incredible buy. He's right up there with Jimmy Garoppolo in terms of quarterback buy-low candidates. What you do is you trade Patrick Mahomes to a team with Jimmy Garoppolo or Matthew Stafford, and you try to acquire a quality player in addition in return. For that reason, I will go Marvin Jones by the slightest margin. Rapid-fire contrived dichotomy number two, Larry Fitzgerald or Demarius Thomas? Ah, That's a tough one because at the beginning of the year— This is meant to be hard, man! I try to make it hard. You did a good job with this one. At the beginning of the year, I had both of these guys uh, really close to each other, and they've both kind of fallen to a similar place. <laughs> um, I will still say Larry Fitzgerald, just because he doesn't seem to have much competition for targets. Now He's also hurt, though. He, they say he's fine. But, but you're right. He is currently hurt. Um, he's just better than Demarius Thomas in general. So even though he's older, you're right that He's the alpha dog receiver on his team, and it seems like Emmanuel Sanders has stolen that designation in Denver. Larry Fitzgerald still has it in Arizona, and that should be enough. 
for him to win the day, David Njoku or O.J. Howard? This gets me at my core because I, I think O.J. Howard is a better player than David Njoku. Oh, really? But I, the target disparity right now is significant. I the, the answer to this question may be, does Jameis get the starting job back? Because they paid Cameron Brait like $40 million just because Jameis likes him. Yeah, Cameron Brait's not good. There's not a lot of difference between Cameron Brait and Seth DeValve. One went to Harvard, one went to Princeton. They're both the number two tight end on a team with a generational talent ahead of them on the depth chart. Yeah. What's the big deal? You feed David Njoku in Cleveland. You feed O.J. Howard in Tampa. The correct answer here is push. Okay. You're allowed to push if there was a question ever posed on Roto Underworld Radio that is a push. It's this because O.J. Howard has the efficiency and the production. David Njoku has the opportunity and the targets. It's a push. Now, looking at week three, it seems that the jam in tactic in DFS is dead. You can't go all expensive running backs. That doesn't work. Are you going to continue? Is the, is the right move in DFS to spend more money on wide receiver than you had in previous years? Well, I think especially this week it will be, at least in cash games and tournaments, it may actually be a bit contrarian to go with two expensive running backs because we have some value. Oh my God, Jim Amin is already contrarian. <laughs> Unbelievable! It, it may, I'm not saying it is for sure, but we've got, G, you know how popular Gio Bernard's going to be. Oh, he's a free square. A free square. If there was a free square running back in DFS, it's Giovanni Bernard this week. Except that if Jay Ajayi doesn't play, Corey Clement's cheaper than him on both sides. Oh, so we're going to have free square against free square. <laughs> Ooh, I like Giovanni Bernard. I prefer Giovanni Bernard's overarching talent profile. Corey Clement still has to contend with Wendell Smallwood. I don't believe Mark Walton is a threat to Giovanni Bernard. So when you're looking at GPPs, we're chasing these shootouts. The winning tournament lineups last week featured copious Chiefs and Steelers. Which shootout should we be game stacking this week in GPPs? I don't think you can go wrong going right back to the Chiefs with the 49ers coming to town. I don't think the Chiefs defense has any prayer of stopping anyone this year. You don't overthink it. You just keep going back over the top with your Chiefs. It probably makes more sense, though, in a tournament to play Garoppolo and then a bunch of players from both teams than Mahomes, with Mahomes being the most expensive quarterback and probably the most popular quarterback. My favorite play of the week is stacking Garoppolo and Goodwin if he plays. Yes. And then, of course, you're going to get Sammy Watkins or Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey into your lineup as well because game stacking is the way to go in these prolific matchups. And then, of course, I mean, New Orleans and Atlanta are playing. Oh, my God. There might be 60 right there. Oh, my God. Michael Thomas, Julio Jones. Oh, my God. But I would say Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, but it has been the number two options in a lot of these passing games like Juju Smith-Schuster that has been carrying the day in these prolific performances. Last week, the winning GPP rosters had a lot of Sammy Watkins and Juju Smith-Schuster. It's just harder to find WR2s in the shootouts this week. Well, and especially when it comes to the Saints, because remember when we used to say Drew Brees doesn't heavily focus on any one wide receiver? That That's that's out the window. Well, now that he has a true alpha dog and the next best receiver on the team is Ted Ginn, it just makes sense. Yes. Think about the receivers below Michael Thomas. It's Ted Ginn and Benjamin Watson. 
These players have a combined age of 186. So you have Ginn, and you have Watson, and you have... Traquan Smith. Traquan Smith getting a target a game, and then you have the running backs, and it's Alvin Kamara. Big surprise, he's getting 10 targets a game. The beauty of Alvin Kamara is that even in a contest where game script moves against him, like we saw in week one against Tampa, no problem. He'll just catch 10-plus passes. I think that game script is actually preferable for him. Right. That's the counterintuitive thing. So, yeah, that's... Last season, we called Alvin Kamara a satellite back plus. That's my favorite archetype for NFL running backs, the satellite back plus, where they will produce in any given game situation at any given down and distance. They're in the game in high leverage situations, and they're fed opportunities in situations that can maximize their fantasy production. Now, there is a wide receiver on the New Orleans Saints, for which I am a truther of, And he's the player I'm most disappointed in this season. And that's Austin Carr. Because he was announced as a starter in week one. I thought, this is wheels up. I'm going to be right. I can't wait to celebrate being right about Austin Carr touting him over the last two years. And then he goes out and catches two passes in two games. Man. So, do you qualify for truther status on anyone? And by the way, if you're a truther, you're setting yourself up for misery. You do know that. You're setting yourself up to be disappointed. I'm just warning you before you go public with any trutherdom. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely still a Josh Reynolds truther. I maintain nice. that if Josh Reynolds had been the one that roomed with Jared Goff over the summer last summer, then he would be the consensus top 30 wide receiver. I mean, Josh Reynolds is an injury away from fantasy relevance because the Rams do not target the tight end at all. And Todd Gurley's targets have been scaled back significantly. I love that take. You stash Josh Reynolds on your taxi squad and only one out of the three wide receivers gets injured and it's game on. So let's zoom out, look at the rest of the season. Just give me your boldest prediction. I mean very bold, very, very on the outer edges of the universe of bold. Give me that prediction. Giovanni Bernard (gasps) scores the most fantasy points in the Cincinnati backfield. Give me your boldest prediction. I mean very bold. Very, very on the outer edges of the universe of bold. Give me that prediction. Giovanni Bernard scores the most fantasy points in the Cincinnati backfield. Because injuries linger, man. That's it. This is why you need to punt Devontae Freeman. I'm also punting Joe Mixon. He's not going to be right for the rest of the season. Joe Mixon is not going to be right until 2019, and I wish he would be out longer. I wish he opted for the arthroscopic surgery that requires the longer rehabilitation instead of the quick snip, you missed two to four weeks procedure, and the knee is never the same. And I am absolutely 100% a Team Geo truther and taking a lot of heat here in the uh, studios for saying that he is the most talented running back in Cincinnati. And so I'll just stick with that. 
sometimes an injury, like we talked about with Josh Reynolds, an injury can be the path for a truther to deliver on the improbable promise. It's absolutely wheels up for Giovanni Bernard. And satellite backs have a way of staying healthy as well. That's another reason I like the satellite backs in the NFL, that they know how to avoid contact and they score their fantasy points out on the perimeter away from the most violent collisions. That's why James White has never been injured. They don't spend as much of their time around the uh, big uglies. I I can't believe that we're actually talking about this as if it wasn't self-evident all along. Alex Smith is Alex Smith, man! Todd Haley, never wearing clothes. Yeah, I don't know. Get ready, get ready. Oh, I'm ready. Turning the phrase on Roto Underworld Radio is the Pathfinder. So, it's, I mean, it's two weeks. It's a little bit early for a victory lap, but it's never too early for victory laps on Roto Underworld Radio, Heath. It's what we do. I don't think that they can replace Fitzmagic. I just realized I don't think I have any Josh Gordon questions in here. Nope, we don't need to talk about him. I'm not the guy that retweets himself. You are, actually. <laughs> say it. Just say it. Just say it, he that feels good. It feels good, man. Just say it. I know who you want to say. Just say it. I don't think you do. I'm going to say uh, Miles Austin. Straight face. No smile. No smirk. Straight face. Keelan Cole. Antonio Brown. Same guy. Don't at me. Why do they call him a trash can? I've never called him a trash can, so I don't I don't know that. They do. You've heard it. Um, because that's his catch radius? It was just a guess. Maybe he's just good at football and it's not a big deal. It was just a guess. Who is their number two receiver? Brandon Marshall. Exactly. <laughs> the year is 2018. After a 211-yard game versus Miami, New England Patriots' Josh Gordon has set the NFL record for receiving yards in a season. Nope, we don't need to talk about him. This is meant to be hard, man! I try to make it hard! You are, actually. (laughs) Oh my god, Jamma Min is already contrarian. (laughs) Unbelievable! Early round running backs! Early round running backs! All those guys are busts at this point, right? Yes. Completely. I've never called him a trash can.